This is Soccer Pilgrim, the podcast dedicated to soccer and travel, where each stadium is shrine and its fans delay people. For the traveler, it is another culture to explore. Welcome to the Soccer Pilgrim podcast with Jason Kim. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Soccer Pilgrim. I'm your host, Jason Kim. And today's episode is focused on Rome. However, the episode is not necessarily just about Rome, but about Italian football as a whole. In the last episode, I talked about Munich, but I didn't really spend a lot of time talking about actually just about Munich. And I talked a lot about German football and how Munich is sort of a good representation of where German football is, what German football is like. And in this case... I talk about Rome, but Rome it doesn't always represent what Italian football is like, as in the clubs that play in Rome. You know, the northern Italian clubs like Juventus, AC Milan, Inter Milan tend to be a better representation of what Italian what Italian football is like at its best, because those are the three clubs that tend to win it the most, historically speaking. But anyway, Rome is still a beautiful city, and I want to start this episode with a song that the fans of AS Roma, which is one of the clubs that play in Rome, they sing the song, or it's sort of like their um, their national song. I was gonna say their uh, their theme song, if you will. This is a song they sing before every match. Okay, so that song is just called Roma. I think it's based on an actual pop song from an earlier time in, in in Italy, and the Roma fans sort of adopted it. It's 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 a fun song, it's a catchy song, it's a nice song, and it sounds like a song that was made to be sung and played in stadiums and with fans. Like it's it's a it's a great song. So Rome, where do I begin? I mean, Rome is a beautiful city. I love Italy, hands down. Love Italy. Love the people. Love the food. Uh, love the country. Did I say I love the food? The food is self-explanatory. I visited the country four times, and each time I landed in Rome. And every time I'm in Rome, I have to at least spend three days just being a tourist in the city because I I enjoy doing that. You know, Rome they they call it the Eternal City, and it makes sense because it just feels like it. There's endless beautiful churches and cathedrals all over the place. All the buildings just feel old and timely. And the architecture, the, the statues, the history that just that just drew, like that just leaks everywhere. There's history everywhere, and it's, and if you're a fan of history, that's something that you'll find incredibly intoxicating. That's what I found intoxicating: religion and, and history. That's uh, that's my go. Oh, man, I'm such a nerd. But yeah, that's what I'm that's what I'm really into. Besides football, of course. And when you visit Rome, you could you really feel that the Italian capital transcends. Italy or modern Italian identity the the locals who are native to Rome call themselves Roman and they say that with a lot of pride if you look at the coat of arms of Rome it's burgundy with gold letters and they still have the old Roman Empire motto of SPQR which it, it translates to the Senate and the Roman people and that's still on the coat of arms of Rome everywhere you see the city flag is pretty much these colors AS Roma, their club, this is their color, burgundy and gold. So they take a lot of pride of their history and who they 
were or where they've come from and it's 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 pretty it's quite cool to see and when you go see the coliseum in person a i'm not like wowed to be honest when i when seeing the coliseum outside is wow but seeing it inside is not that wow however when you talk to italians they are all very aware of gladiator history and they take a lot they think it's like wow i can't believe we did that but at the same time it was they think they take it with a lot of pride is that we were entertainers for a long time we enjoyed good entertainment if you want to see in that perspective and that probably lends to why they're so good under pressure when it comes to soccer because i guess they wear this gladiator idea on them like they carry it with them there's a player named uh, Gennaro gattuso who used to play for ac milan they called him the gladiator because he would just murder people on the field like he was so he was so aggressive but like in a fun way i guess and he played in Scotland, so that's why he was so aggressive. But Italians, like, they see it as a compliment. Yeah, we're gladiators. We deal well with under pressure. If there's anything that this Euro had showed about the Italians is that they do very well under pressure. They don't mind if you have ball possession because they could soak it in and then break when necessary. The, the Italian football is a fun to watch sometimes because when they start defending, it's it's like, oh. when they start defending in a boring manner, it, it's, it's hard to watch. But not only that, I mean... When you think of Italian football and the league it comes from, some of these fans, not just the league fans, but the national fans, are very high standard. With high, The pressure's high because they know what they like and they know what works for them and they'll always voice their opinions. Italian fans and players wear their heart on their sleeves. There's no filter. There's, there's no BS. And that's the one thing you have to appreciate about them. And not only that, I mean, Italian football was if not the best league in the early 2000s. It, the biggest competition in terms of best uh, footballing leagues was between England and Italy in the early 2000s. Italy was just world-class about everything. And then that all changed when there was a high-level match-fixing called Calcio Gate, which happened, uh, which a lot of the top clubs in Italy were match-fixing, uh, you know, and, and there's involvement with the mafia and all that stuff. And as a result, Juventus was dropped down to Serie B, the league below, and other clubs were financially reprimanded. But anyway, all this to say is that I'm not here to talk about Serie A, the, the league in Italy, the top league in Italy, because that's an entire episode, if not an entire season of its own. That's like, that's a lot to talk about. Here, I just want to talk about really the focus of this episode is to talk about just Italian football, as I said earlier, and also my experience with that. You know, if you grew up playing soccer in Canada, it is guaranteed that you will have friends, teammates, coaches, and opponents that will be Italian. Whether they're like Calabres, Sicilian, from Naples, or whatever. If you're a millennial soccer player, it is more likely, it is more than likely your introduction to soccer was through Italians. Whether that was watching Italian football at its prime in the early 2000s or playing in a majority, of, in a majority Italian team. If it is in English soccer, it's Italian soccer. That's a fact when it comes to playing soccer, growing up playing soccer in North America. It's either English football or Italian calcio. And for myself, I mean, like, I had a Sicilian coach. And and the reason why I specify Sicilian, because he sort of drilled it in us, like, don't call me Italian, I'm Sicilian. And I'm like, cool. And he always wore, I, I just remember him always wearing a polo. And sometimes Ferrari gear. Uh, anyway, it's <laughs> it's um, so stereotypical. <laughs> but anyway, <clears throat> but before I jump into Italian football and how the way I see it, it's like the format of all the other episodes of the format of the season. I have to talk about the Stadio Olimpico, not Estadio, Stadio Olimpico, Stadio Olimpico in Rome, 
was built in 1927. The stadium has been subject to a tumultuous history due to greater political events like World War II, for example. The stadium, as we have it today, was renovated in 2008 and with future plans for further renovations. It is home to two clubs, AS Roma and SS Lazio. The difference between those two clubs is night and day. I just want to mention this real quick. AS Roma, their colors are burgundy and gold, and they're sort of the uh, the club of the urban Romans. And SS Lazio are sort of the the club of the country people, which tends to happen as if you want to speak politically. AS Roma leans left. AS, SS Lazio is pretty much right wing. They have uh, neo Nazis among their ranks. They're known to have a lot of uh, far right wing SS uh, neo Nazi members. Unless stuff like that, white supremacists and nationalists, they all tend to be in Lazio. I mean, there's famous cases of uh, Di Canio, one one of the former players in the 90s or early 2000s, celebrating with a Sieg Heil to the fans, one of the Nazi salute. Which is, you know, that's why they have the that's why they have SS in front of it. Of course, <laughs> of course, they have SS in front of their name. That's so appropriate. Anyway, if you're in Montreal. And you want to go watch any Italy soccer game or any city yeah, soccer game? I strongly recommend you go to a coffee shop with the same name as the stadium, Cafe Olimpico. You have to go there. I mean, the people who work at Cafe Olimpico are soccer fans. They're all Italians, they're very big soccer fans, and they know what they're talking about. And the people who tend to watch the games there also are big soccer fans. And that's a great vibe to go. It's a lot of fun. It's great for neutrals and those who are new to the game because everyone's quite inviting. So I. Strongly recommend everyone go to Cafe Olimpico for any of the Italy games. I go there. But speaking about Italy games and Italian football, let's get into it. Well, the first question that people ask about Italian football or Italian soccer team is why are they why are they called the Azuri? Azuri means the blues. Why do they wear blue? And and it makes sense because their country flag is red, white, and green. Where's the blue? Do do if we mix all those colors, do we get blue? Like, where's the blue? And it turns out they adopted the the color blue in 1911. The name of the color is called uh, Savoy Savoy Azure, which means uh, Savoy blue. As I said, Savoy is one of the uh, one of the northern Italian kingdoms back in the days. And the Savoy crest, which is like a it's a cross, and then there's a blue contour around the shield. And they use that color, that that border color of blue around the crest. They use that as uh, as the national team color, because at that time, in that, between 1861 and 1946, the Italian flag, which at the time was the Kingdom of Italy, was red, white, and, and green, as you see it today. But in the middle, in the white part, they had a, a crest on it, which was the cross, white cross, red background, and then there's shield, and there's like a blue border around that shield of the crest they use that blue color as as their kit interesting very very uh it's quite neat and also very specific and with those colors with those blue colors they've won four world cups 1934 1938 1982 and 2006 i remember 2006 it was i live in the part of montreal called la salle which has a lot of italians and when when France, I remember when Trezeguet missed that penalty, hit the crossbar. I, there's just this energy throughout the borough of La Salle that just exploded. It was just, I, you could immediately people, 
you can hear people running to their cars, driving around, honking, just going crazy. This one street where the Italian churches was completely shut down and the entire Italian community showed up and it was a huge party. I remember that because I was sad. I loved Zinedine Zidane and he got red carded and France lost and being raised in Quebec, you kind of wanted to see France win. It was just like, ugh. But, <laughs> but I remember the joy that the Italians had and I remember thinking that it was amazing when I think back at it. That was an incredible moment. But anyway, let's balance that incredible moment with one of the darkest uh, eliminations that Italy was ex experienced. Uh, fun fact, Italy was knocked out by North Korea in the group stage of the 1966 World Cup. As a Korean person, that makes me somewhat happy. <laughs> apparently, that was like one of the best North Korean teams ever. Suppose, I mean, apparently, they, they were really good. I think they gave, I think they beat Spain. No, no, that's South Korea. But apparently, that World Cup, North Korea was so popular that even some of the English fans were supporting North Korea because they thought, what? This is the biggest underdog story. And only North Korea was later knocked out by Eusebio's Portugal, which Eusebio was like a very, is a very big legend of Portugal. Anyway, that being said, that's a World Cup titles. They've won one Euro in 1968. Perhaps the fact that they've won one Euro and four World Cups, some have been arguing that perhaps the Euro as a competition is way more difficult than the World Cup. Uh, that's an interesting debate that I'm willing to have with someone on the show because that, that'd be fun. And the more I think about it, I don't think that's a wrong way of thinking. But the World Cup also has... There's so many different countries from different parts of the world with different styles of play that it's it's hard to predict. But anyway, and I think the Euro is harder because everyone's more familiar with each other's teams and players because they all play in the same leagues or in the same circuit. Anyway, so if the anyway that being said, if the Dutch have total football, as I've said in an earlier episode, the Italians have this style called catenaccio, also known as doorknob or doorknob football every country has their own style of play that often has a name like a good name to it like the Dutch is total football yeah Dutch is total football the Spanish is tiki taka and then the Italians they have catenaccio catenaccio also known as doorknob basically what they mean by that is you're closing the door on attacking oppositions Italians are famous for their defensive capabilities last thing you want is Italians scoring early and defending all game that can be boring as fuck if the Italians don't break and go for the counterattacks. But if you love defense and watching good tackles and meaningful tackles, then you want to watch Italian football when they do Catenaccio. For example, when you watch the game against Spain, once they scored a goal, whenever they had to shift back into defense, the entire team is running back on the defense. Oftentimes when you're attacking, you'll see the four defenders and maybe one central midfielder on the defensive uh, positionings and try to defend the goalkeeper when the other team is attacking. But if you look at Italy... The entire defense is already in position. The entire midfield is right on top, right in front of the defense. And then the forwards are pressing the attack. So already you have everything is on lockdown defensively. Everything is ready to go. If you're going to try to penetrate, you need a magical player to do so. Like Messi, you know what I mean? Like it's That's what makes Italian football so fun to watch is just to see how the team moves as a unit. And also just when they win every tackle, they celebrate as if it's like a big deal. You know, you love to see that. You love to watch passion at play. But you might also, but also the, just to demonstrate how good Italian defending is, the last ever defender to win the Ballon d'Or in 2006 was Fabio Cannavaro, a defender, a center back who isn't even that tall. Center backs tend to be over six foot, but he was like 
5'10", which is like average height, kind of short for for a center back. And he won Ballon d'Or, and he was the captain of Italy. He was he's arguably one of the best defenders of all time, and definitely one of the best defenders of Italy. So now now as I've done before, I like to balance all the good stuff with the quote unquote bad stuff. Italians not only are they known for beautiful plays and tactical savviness, it's they're also known for the dark arts. I call it the dark arts of football, which is time wasting and manipulation. As a matter of fact, they're the masters of the dark arts of football. They're the perfect example of everything that is good, bad, and ugly in the game, like a good spaghetti western. They will show you both sides of football in order to get the win. Let me make an example with spaghetti westerns. Spaghetti westerns and its definition are basically western cowboy films directed by Italian filmmakers, but especially with Sergio Leone as a famous example. And what he does with these westerns, like Once Upon a Time in the West, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, he tries to demythologize and criticize typical conventions of U.S. westerns. So in U.S. westerns, yeah, I mean, like think of think of uh, you know John Wayne cavalier walking and kind of disrespectful to native people and just is like ah I'm a, I'm a manly man ah pew 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 you know that kind of that kind of vibe whereas with Sergio Leone is not that it's more of like those like John Wayne characters are put on the microscope and they're more humanized they're not perfect people you know they have flaws and yet these are the guys you st- still kind of root for at the end of the day and Italian football is kind of like that that you love to watch them play because you know they could do amazing things with the ball tactically and technically but they are super good at mind games. That's what they're good at. They're good at mind games. They know how to get under people's skin. They know how to talk trash. They know how to be physical and aggressive when necessary. They know which players to target and which players that will break under certain types of plays or certain types of aggressive fouls, you know? If they need to get a yellow card for the team, they will get a yellow card for the team. If they need to waste time by, like, embellishing, flopping on the floor, they will do so. If they want to win a foul... If they want to win a penalty by diving in a box but making it look convincing, kind of like Sterling, although well, I don't want to get into Sterling's dive versus Denmark, but the Italians will do that and they will win it and they'll own up to it because for them, it's about winning at all costs. Do what you got to do to win. It's almost that brutal philosophy of just win it. Do do whatever it takes to win like a really dirty street fight. <laughs> that's like... that's. That's how the Italians approach it. And that's why they're so successful and so brutal because it's no mercy. And the fans love it. The Italian fans love it. They love it. You can, you can make fun of Italy for embellishing and wasting time and being rude or whatever. The Italian fans would say like, hey, we don't care. We're winning. Uh, granted, I don't mean to generalize all Italian fans. Some Italian fans probably find it annoying. But for the most part, I almost all the Italians that I know don't mind it because they're winning. And as a matter of fact, when they do all of this well, the good aspects of their play and the bad aspects or the ugly aspects of their play, when they do it well, Italian fans will appreciate it and celebrate it. That you know, they they love it. Say what you want about Italian, the dark arts of Italian football, it's effective, and people know about it, and reps know about it. Reps don't always fall for it, but at the same time, reps are still humans, and under enough pressure, maybe certain things could sway the Italians in in, in the Italian way. So Italian football is so successful and so good that they've developed like these proper like derby rivalries with other countries that when they play against these other countries, it's going to be a big game because there's so much history behind it. 
And I didn't realize about it. I always thought Italy's biggest rival was just France, which makes sense because like 2006 World Cup final, neighboring countries, big influences in football and global football. But it turns out they have a lot of other rivalries that I didn't really realize. For example, their rivalry with Brazil, known as Clasico Mundial, is or is translates to World Derby. It is between, you know, obviously the two most successful national teams in the World Cup, Brazil with five World Cups and Italy with four. And also they've played against each other in two separate World Cup finals, Brazil and Italy, 1970 World Cup final and 1994 World Cup final, in which Brazil won both of those in penalties. So obviously Brazil's got two over Italy when it comes to World Cup finals and that could develop obviously like not resentment but you want revenge for those for those incidents of course which makes Brazil Italy so much fun to watch because again contrasting styles Brazilians love to flare and attack and then just make a show out of it and Italy is more about the artistry of you know team play technicality of uh, of tactics you know breaking down that at uh, that penetrating attack of Brazil on paper Brazil versus Italy is always going to be a fun match and also, fun fact, the largest Italian diaspora in the world is in Brazil, I think, with 6 million people who are Italian descent. 6 million Italian descent in Brazil alone. Just throwing it out there. I think that's more than Argentina, which is surprising. Italy also has a huge rivalry with Croatia, known as the Adriatic Derby, because of the Adriatic Ocean that separates two countries. And Croatia has not lost against Italy with the most of the fixtures played in qualifications and at tournaments. During the Euro 2016 qualifying phase, Croatia and Italy played each other twice, drawing both times. And, uh, wow, okay. The, by the way, I'm reading off this from Wikipedia, and I'm, I didn't realize Croatia has won three times and drawn five times against Italy. Wow. So Croatia is uh, kind of Italy's kryptonite. That's, uh, that's surprising. I didn't know that. That's kind of cool to know. The next rivalry, which is against France, uh, the rivalry with France dates back the earliest with the match played on the May on May 15, 1910. Oh my god, over 100 years ago. Italy's first official match ending in a 6-2 victory over France. Uh, notable matches in the World Cup and the European champ- Football Championship includes the 2006 World Cup Final, as I explained, which was heartbreaking for me, and the 2000 European Championship won by France in extra time golden goal by David Trezeguet. Oh, that's funny. So, in 2000, France won... France beat Italy in the Euro Final with a golden goal, which we don't have today in soccer. Golden goal is paid much like uh, when you go to overtime or the extra time, first goal wins. Same way we do it in hockey today. And uh, France beat Italy then by David Trezeguet, the same guy who missed the penalty shootout in the 2006 World Cup final. And he was the one that scored it for them. Yeah, it's kind of funny. But I don't know. Yeah, anyway, but France and Italy has always been a big thing. Like all my Italian friends absolutely do not want to lose to France. It's as if... The game against France is much bigger than any of these other countries because it's it almost feels like that is the main rival. Whereas Italy, Brazil, that's just going to be a fun game that everyone's excited to watch. But France and Italy seems more personal, and I like that. It feels like war. And next, the rivalry with Germany, Italy versus Germany, is also longstanding. Having played against each other five times in the World Cup, notably the game of the century, the 1970 World Cup semifinal between two countries, Italy won 4-3 in extra time. My God. With five, five of the seven goals coming in extra time. What? So two goals are scored in regular time, and then five goals are scored in extra time. That must be crazy. 
Germany has also won three European championships, while Italy has won it once. The two countries have faced each other four times in the European championship with three draws, one Germany penalty shootout victory, Germans won in a penalty shootout victory, and one Italian victory. Germany had never defeated Italy in a major tournament match until the victory in the Euro 2016 quarterfinals on penalties, though st- statistically considered a draw. Yeah, okay, so they, yeah, zero, I think it was 0 0, and then they went to penalties. With all Germany's other wins over Italy being in friendly competitions. Oh, that's an important fact. Wow, so it so technically Croatia is more successful against Germany against Italy than Germany and France. Hmm. Really cool. That, that's interesting. More respect to Croatia. And finally, their last big rivalry, which is, to me this is also kind of like not surprising, the rivalry with Spain. Uh, sometimes referred to as the Mediterranean Derby. It has been contested since 1920. Oh wow, just as old as almost as old as France. And although the two nations are not immediate geographical neighbors, the rivalry at international level is enhanced by a strong performance of representative representative clubs in UEFA competitions, in which they are among the leading associations and have enjoyed each enjoyed spells of dominance. So let me translate that. So the rivalry between Spain and Italy is dates back nineteen twenty, but what the what makes this rivalry happen or big is because of the Champions League. Because in terms of Champions League domination, it was for Italy and Spain were quite influential. Real Madrid, Barcelona, Atletico Madrid. And then if you look at Italy, Juventus, AC Milan, Inter Milan, Napoli, Roma, uh, just to name a few, and. Italian clubs going against Spanish clubs is always a big deal, always a lot of fun, and they've oh they both enjoyed European dominance on the Champions League level. This is more of club rivalries that transcended into the national level, which is it's fun, it's cool to see that. Since a quarterfinal match between the two countries at the Euro two thousand eight, the rivalry has renewed, with its most notable match between two sides being in the UEFA Euro twenty twelve final, which Spain won four nil. And then, and then Italy defeated Spain just recently in the Euro 2020 semifinals, which was a fun game. That went to penalties, but that was an incredible game. I talked about in the last episode, Spain versus Italy. And I, if you could find the full match online, I, I implore any of you to watch the full match. If not, the, highlight, the highlights do well. So I talked about Italian football and things you ought to know, but I didn't really talk a lot about players. And I guess in this episode, I want to focus more on the history of Italian football in where it's coming from. And I hope you keep that in mind when you go watch the final of, of England versus Italy, that these are the historical precedents that follow Italy. They're, they've are they been around for a long time. They're an old school team. They're one of the most influential countries in European, if not world football, with four World Cup titles. If you grew up playing soccer in Canada, you grew up playing with Italian teammates, coaches, and oppositions that are Italian. And when I see Italian football and see what it's like, it reminds me as to why I love the game because it reminds you of how different cultures view the game differently and how they approach it. And in Italian football, you see a lot of how Italians view soccer and how it ought to be played, and that's what I enjoy. And if you're going to ask me if Italy is going to beat England at the final, they have a very strong case of them being winners. But I don't know. Uh, it seemed like everything was done in England's favor for this tournament. I feel like I feel like something is saying that this should be England's tournament, but I don't know. Anyway, that being said, this was today's episode on Italy. Didn't really talk a lot about Rome. I know that. If there's anything about Rome I should tell you is Rome has their own style of pizza, which is in square shape. They're, they're fantastic. They're beautiful. They're amazing. 
pineapple and pizza is considered a sin in Italy. Chicken and pasta and chicken and pizza is also considered a sin in Italy. A lot of seafood is eaten there, which I love seafood. Always go for the house wine of any restaurant because it's cheap and it's always made locally and it'll most likely be beautifully delicious. And yeah, and I think Caccio, the pasta, Caccio Pepe is originally from Rome, I think. Uh, I, I could be wrong on that. But anyway, all I have to say, if you do go to Rome, enjoy it, have fun. Go see the Vatican, St. Peter's uh, Cathedral, beautiful, or St. Peter's Basilica, awesome. Just a long line, but you don't need to pay unless you want to go to the top of the roof or whatever. Anyway, that being said, thank you for being an audience. You can always follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and you could follow it on Instagram at Soccer Pilgrim, and you can follow my personal Instagram account at Jason underscore Jisoo, Jisoo spelled G-I-S-O-O. And as always, thank you for listening. Thank you for being an audience. From Montreal, the soccer program. Thank you.